0: Live from the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the Outkick Network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Second hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on Thursday edition. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Chad, um, we've got plenty of NFL discussion Thursday night football tonight. Good game. San Francisco can lock up the division with a win over Seattle this evening. Kenneth Walker III will play um, for Seattle in the backfield. That's big. Um, and we will also get to one big thing on every NFL game for Week 15. That's in Hour 3. But you mentioned Adam Silver is wanting one big thing or one person, you said, out? Yeah, I, well, it's
1: more of a... An ideal that he wants an in, and, so, and, and it would require at least one man with a job to be out. Adam Silver went on the NCAA channel with Bonnie Bernstein on a podcast channel for the NCAA and says that he'll be hugely disappointed if there's not a female head coach in the NBA within five years. That that's the goal. He said, we're ahead in certain areas, behind in others. He said, it's terrible there's not already a female head coach in the NBA. Um, he cites that a lot of these players were raised by women. They have moms who played big time college basketball that helped them with their game growing up, and that it's a different generation in terms of, uh, of relations between men and women and how they're viewed in the workplace. So Adam Silver wants a woman head coach within the next five years. I always thought Becky Hammond was on that path, where she coached the summer league team with, for Greg Popovich with the the Spurs. But Hutton, you had an idea of a team I, I, you think that it's going
0: to happen. I, I think the five-year thing is interesting. And I think the the owner or owners, either through expansion or current movement, I think if you get Las Vegas, that's going to be one of the, the stipulations from the league. That's going to be a part of the whole deal. Is Because again, like... Uh, we saw Kroenke. Kroenke gets LA, massive market. He also has he's the he also has a uh, the Chargers, basically renting from him in all this. Ma- and then to go on all in for the Super Bowl. You get Vegas for the NBA. You're getting a big piece of the pie. And a part of that, um, I don't know why other ownership wouldn't want that, but we know LeBron does. We know other we know others do. The five-year thing is interesting just because of that, because that's the talk in the league, is they're going to expand, and when they do, they're going to Vegas. And they've been talking about this for over a year, so it's happening sooner rather than later. At least that's my perception of it. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the first that's thing to come to mind.
1: I, I did not think about that, but that would make a lot of sense. Uh, I thought about, uh, Davey brought this up too, but when Greg Popovich steps down eventually in San Antonio, that he could ask for a female replacement to be the head coach, to yeah. be the first to do that. Um, the example that I always think of, that first off, there's not one that, that I'm aware of, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, of the 330-some-odd Division I men's basketball programs, I don't think there's a single one that has a female head coach right now. So if things funnel up, that's not happening at the college level. The biggest example I know of where this almost happened was Pat Summit, rest in peace, when she was the head coach of the Tennessee Lady Vols, she was offered the men's job in the 90s. I want to say it was mid-90s after Wade Houston was fired. It may have been before that when they hired Wade Houston, but this was like 1993, 94. I mean, imagine this is going to be a huge story when it happens to the NBA. Imagine Pat Summit as a female head coach in the SEC in the early to mid-90s. If this happened that many years ago. I mean... Of things that... We talked about how great it would have been to see Mike Leach at a premier program, just to see what that would have looked like and what he could have done with his system and his style. Imagine Pat Summit back in the 90s coaching Tennessee men in the SEC. That that would have been something. But I, I've got no big objection to this. I, I think we are at a yeah. point where, I mean, professionals and in the NBA, they're not going to have an issue answering or taking you know, the lead of a woman that's the head coach. Here's the other thing about the NBA. I'm not sure how much power the men head coaches have at times. I mean, you got to I mean, have someone who's a psychologist that can get along with everyone. I think there's a lot of head coaches that are right now in the NBA. It's not like they're going around dictating terms to their star players. Isn't it interesting, though? like Right? I mean, how many
0: dictators well, do you have as head coaches in the NBA? Chad, how many... Head coaches, can you name in the NBA right now? That's my issue. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you if they are or not. Well, the ones that actually
1: have power we with know. their teams that we know are Eric Spolstra, are Greg Popovich,
0: yes, Steve Kerr. I think to some extent, sure, with Golden State. Yes, I mean, I, I. But I mean, who else? I mean, I know Nate McMillan's the head coach in Atlanta, but does that mean anything to the grand scheme of things? Like, uh, Budenholzer and Milwaukee yeah. is a guy
1: that's respected that may have some power.
0: But it, it's the uh, star
1: players that Giannis is the what, yeah, is who they answer to in Milwaukee, right? But, if he wants to make a power play, yes, not that, the coach.
0: But so that was my like. I don't get the whole um, the 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 power struggle between the head coach and the players, and it really just comes down to who's really running the organization. And in the case of the megastars, it's them. It's them, and then the GM does their you know does their bidding really, and the. The, I mean, if you once you give that guy the guaranteed contract, you're either trading him in a few years because he's unhappy, or you're doing exactly what he wants because he's really running and running the organization. But you're only doing that, Chad. For and maybe I'm wrong on this. How many how many players have that power in the league? The the power of you know yeah. what we're investing in you because what you need is going to win a championship for us. If I'm the owner, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. How many players? In the league, LeBron to do that. James. Well, is it 10, roughly 10, probably? Maybe, maybe less, maybe up to 15, but not a lot. But even the players that don't have that power have these max d- contracts, you know, these super contracts. And if coach wants you to do something, but you've just been elevated to a certain level, what, if you don't want to do it, what is, what is that guy going to do? Bench you? No, they're going to do anything to you. You can't. That's where the league is. It's not an awful product. It's an awful product in the regular season. And it's a, it really an awful product until you actually have a couple of playoff hopefuls that are battling to get in. And that's my biggest issue with where the league has fallen off.
1: Yeah, it gets fun in spring and summer when the playoffs are heating up. But I'm with you. I mean, on a random night in December or January, to turn on an NBA game is like pulling teeth at times it is not an enjoyable product and and you can make it out like, well if there's 82 games and they have to rest their bodies and you know you have to it's almost like I'm watching a game where there's a gentleman's agreement to not go all out at times and stretches the game they'll turn it up late in the game when the game's on the line right last four or five minutes everyone's playing the hard hardest they possibly can but I, being in arenas watching an NBA game I feel like second, third quarter at times. It's just, hey guys, I'm not going to play too hard a defense if you don't either. Yeah. And we'll just kind of take it easy for a little bit over the uh, course of the game, which I, I don't I don't like. I don't think it leads to a great product. But when I see the story from Adam Silver, I kind of nod my head and say, yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you. I, I think it's something that probably could and should happen in the next five years if there's someone that um, is worthy of that position, and I think there's plenty of women that coach basketball. If you know basketball, you know basketball at any level that that could possibly do the job. And I'd like to, I'd like to see it, right? I think we'd all like to see that. I'm not going to call it an experiment, but I'd like to see that happen because
0: I, I'd be fun to see how it works out. The WNBA is so difficult to figure things out on. I, I'm googling who want, who's the Las WNBA Vegas champion. A, Las, I thought it was Las Vegas. Las Vegas Aces championship and it, you have to scroll down to even find out if it, who the champion is it is them they want Becky Hammonds is, is the coach there hmm. already in Vegas well hadn't I think you nailed it I didn't know that I forgot that yeah she wasn't
1: still on San Antonio's staff that she took the She's head been coaching there for job two years
0: there. uh had no clue there you go there's where she is and again like if, if you' love to see like if you're a, bringing a franchise there um you know she's going to be the obvious name because I think nationally we know her. Yep. Um, she doesn't have to be the only candidate, but the ties there make a ton of sense. And if you want, to- I think Carol Lawson's
1: another one because she had a job with the Celtics. Yeah. So she's worked for an NBA team, and now she's the head women's coach at Duke. But when she had that gig with the Celtics, I'm thinking she may be the first. Also, those are the top two candidates to be the first female
0: head coach in NBA. Becky Ham and Carol Lawson still could be. Chad, what, what is Bobby Petrino doing? Stepping down as head coach to take an offensive coordinator position, but not not with Texas A and M. That's where he was rumored yeah, to that's, be. Yeah, when I saw, saw the start of the
1: report. I'm thinking, oh, he went to A and M. He's going to UNLV. Oh yeah, to coach with Barry Odom.
0: I, I don't. It's get a it. weird move. And it, he was the one clearly putting his name out there for A and M, or his agent or whatever. Now, because he was going to take an OC job anywhere, it sounds like. Something else that jumped out. Am I to wrong me. in when, thinking
1: that? Yes, but when Shane Beamer said four other
0: jobs, four other, four other
1: universities contacted Dow Loggins. Now he didn't say they all offered him an OC job, right? But he says four other, and he happened to come Reached, here, yeah. with us to be OC. And I'm thinking, did A and M reach out to Dow Loggins about
0: being the OC? I, mean, I know one. I know one program that didn't, Tennessee. I would think not. No. Yeah, I, you can. So let's look at it. Kentucky? It,
1: no, well, I Kentucky? Would, to be tight ends coach, maybe, because that's what Alex Golish was. Maybe they called him to be that, but not OC.
0: Oh, okay, maybe. But still. that could have been not, one of the ones that reached the out. That's yeah. not um, And Dow, for the majority of his career, if, if he's been a position coach, it's a quarterback's coach. That's what he was in, in the NFL for a But vast majority. And that's what he's doing in South Carolina as well.
1: Petrino, I don't know what... To me, the end game is to be a division... A, a, a FBS-level head coach again. I don't know what his goals are. Maybe he just really wants to get the hell out of Missouri State and go to Vegas, but this is a step down. I feel like you leave UNLV as an offensive coordinator, ex-coach, could be anyone, whoever's there. You're a coordinator at UNLV. You take uh, an FCS-level job like Missouri State to be a head coach, and that's the next step up. This, to me, is a step down to be UNLV's offensive coordinator. There's also the Arkansas tie there, which is funny because Barry Odom leaves Arkansas to go UNLV. We all know how things ended with Bobby Petrino at Arkansas with the motorcycle accident. Yes. And now they're teaming
0: up at, in Vegas? It's an odd story. Petrino was 18-15 and 15 at Missouri State. Made two FCS playoff appearances. I mean, other than – I'm trying to figure out why you would make this move unless you just want to be relevant and you felt like you couldn't do that. He's been there three years. So you feel like you couldn't do that moving forward Um, and you had to prove it again as being an innovative offensive mind, which is what he was known for and is. That's the only thing that I can think of as to why you're going to jump back into FBS and literally take any gig right now. I mean, that's the way it comes across. And it wasn't going to be in the SEC, which is also a bit surprising for a coordinator position from a guy who's been there, done that, and has proven it, and has coached a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback. Um, and I, I would think at this point, whatever's following him from Fayetteville is no longer really trailing him. If you're really looking at the other examples of hires within the SEC recently. So,
1: I mean, it, that's been a long unusual. time. He, he was... He was back at Louisville, you know. Since I, yeah, then, that's I been think, a long time. I, know. Ago. I think I, that I, was I like 2012, there's, 2013.
0: There's no issue there, I, I wouldn't think. Um, yeah, that's been a decade. But, but I guess this is the this is the path he thinks to get back into, you know, the the Power Five head coaching position, not where he was at Missouri State. He almost beat Arkansas yeah. at Missouri State this year too, and probably should have based on the score. It was it was close. He was right there in the fourth quarter. Um, Speaking of uh, Louisville and tying in Petrino, Louisville men's hoops. They did it. They, they won the, a basketball the game. The biggest fear, I, I told you guys, we I was in the press box this Sunday. There was a guy who is tied in with Western Kentucky. They're 8-1 and one going into this game. He said, that's going to be the game. This will be the game. Wednesday will be the game that Louisville will win. Just watch. Because the fear for the Hilltoppers are is they get to a... They're on the bubble. They don't win their conference. And you look back at the games that are winnable and the really bad losses. This will end up being a really bad loss and is. And Chad, 8-1 falls to 0-9 Louisville and the Cardinals get their first victory. And it took until December 14th to get it done. Let me lead with this. Kenny Payne
1: has been an absolute disaster (laughs) of a head coach so far. So, I mean, you can chalk a lot of things up and say year one, he's terrible. I mean, he is really bad. And I know there are a lot of people at Louisville that forced that hire on the athletic director there, and I don't know that the athletic director necessarily wanted to make it, but this is as bad of a start to a career at a borderline, almost blue blood level program that's had a ton of success in Louisville. They're not blue blood, but they're very good, Uh, and they've been very good for years. They're national championship level good. They've won multiple national titles at Louisville, He's been horrifically bad so far, so I, I don't know how you pull yourself out of this. I mean, he's going to get a year two, I would think, but they're not winning many more games. Once they get to the ACC, they're going to win some. They're probably going to they're going to beat Florida A and M. Who was it Who'd that said this the up? worst team I've seen? Uh, Doug Gottlieb yeah. went on went on with Dan Dockich on the Outkick Network and said this is the worst basketball team I've ever seen, worst college basketball team I've ever witnessed. I mean, they're the, of the 330 some odd. They were dead last or second to last ahead of Hartford. Hartford's moving to Division Three. We talked about this with Aaron Torres. They're going from Division One down to Division Three, and Louisville is on par with them as a program, and they've got a former five-star player playing for them in Brandon Huntley Hatfield. It makes no sense. I'm trying to find the. It's game one recap. thing to be bad. And to not win a ton of games. Another thing to to be this bad, they there's they should not be this bad.
0: There's nothing with the, their talent that says they should be this bad. They've had winning seasons in 73 of the last 77 years. Um, here's the po- the 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 quote from Payne. Love the way we finally played with toughness and energy and confidence. I just co- told the guys this. What did it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? Because winning one, imagine what it's going to like to win 80 and 90 percent of your games you've got to sacrifice your life to, to it so hopefully this is a stepping stone that they greatly needed because they put in a lot of work but we have to build on this game and continue the momentum going and to get over the schneid you know they they deserve it they worked really hard harder than i can tell you they're good kids it's all about them
1: and see good coaches would probably come back and be like we gave up 83 points to western kentucky so we got to fix that first Defensively, we weren't very good, but we found a way to win. Yeah. But instead, you got a guy in What game ten? Yes. Getting this first win. What of did the it season. smell
0: like? <laughs> yeah. This. They shot... Uh, 50, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what this season smells like. 52% from beyond the arc. Go ahead, Chad. Failure.
1: <laughs> what does it smell like? What does this locker room smell like right now? Sweat and failure. That's what it smells like. What do you think the celebration was like in the post-game
0: locker room? I have a feeling they celebrated this. I really do. Oh, I, I'm sure they did. I mean, they the probably... The crowd was much better than I expected. They based got on the, the water
1: photo. bottles out and started spraying them in the locker room and they you know, poured
0: it on their head coach for the first win. Terrible. Hit us up at OutKick360. You can join us in the chat as well on YouTube. Glad you're with us across the OutKick Network. Coming up, should the NFL eject players for targeting similar to what we see in college football? And we will hear and discuss the NFL and the roughing the passer penalties. Will they and should they make that reviewable? That's next on OutKick 360. You ready?
1: Showtime. Doing a little research during the break talking about Louisville basketball and all their problems, getting their first win in game number 10 last night against Western Kentucky and found that there's actually a Power 5 program that's worse than Louisville in the net rankings. Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton with you on Outkick 360. The Cal Bears are 0-11 and on the season. Mark Fox is their head coach, former Georgia Bulldogs head coach, now at Cal. are the Cal Bears so far this year. They've lost to Cal Davis. They lost to Texas State. They've lost to Eastern Washington. They're already 0-2 in the Pac-12, which is crazy. Hutton, I was blown away to find out there is a team in the Power 5 worse than Louisville. It's Cal, who's 0-11 on the season. And Mark Fox, former Georgia coach,
0: is their head coach. And unlike Louisville, can you imagine the crowds at Cal? Crickets, right? Oh, Louisville last night. I'm, I don't. I'm looking thought, at one photo, but the one photo looks like. I mean, unless they're like WWE, where you don't have a packed house, you put everyone on one side, on camera side, to make it look packed. You know, unless they were doing that. But I don't. Why think, would you go to these games? I don't think Cal Berkeley students
1: go to sporting events when their teams are good, much less if they're zero and yeah. eleven. I don't think anyone cares, regardless. But they're not going then. I remember Tennessee played at Cal in 2007. And the story of the game were the students that were living in a tree. They didn't want the tree to be cut down on campus. Remember that yes. they could like see into the stadium, and there were just some uh, hippie students living in a tree the whole time. I remember the ABC broadcast cutting away to show the hippies living in a tree. That that's what you the do. At Oak Cal.
0: Grove controversy.
1: Yes. That's what happens when you're at Cal. You live now, in a tree if you're a student.
0: We had a, and you don't go to an 0-11 basketball team's games. We had a similar situation here in Nashville for the NFL draft. That's right. Where they cut down, was it cherry trees or something? There were cherry trees
1: uh, on the riverbank that they cut down for that stage and everything Before going the on for the draft, NFL draft. And then
0: they were going to replace them. And there were people here just in an uproar over this. And Chad had the best line... I, I, like of the entire, I don't even remember what I said. was like so they were gifted to us apparently by Japan or something, and we're like, we're really arguing over a gift from Japan that was trees. <laughs> like they gave us trees, and you that's know. supposed to be sufficient for uh, something that we keep forever. Well, I forever. think they
1: were weren't they Japanese
0: cherry yeah. blossom trees? So, maybe yeah. Um, but again, they were replaced. But
1: my first response to that was, I didn't know there were trees there. <laughs> I just—it I, was funny the outrage of people that I'm thinking. You knew there were trees there. Did you support these? Because I remember we'd take calls on our old radio show, and it's like, oh, I celebrated yep. those trees daily on my walk to get coffee. I'd sit and you know sit under the, the cherry tree, the cherry blossom tree, and have myself a day. And I'm thinking, no, how many people actually <laughs> notice? And I, look, I, if there is a really old big tree in a neighborhood or somewhere, I, I yeah. get it. No, like I you like don't. That too. You do not want to cut down those trees, but I don't remember a thing about their being. These were these, not massive trees. These, these were. There were very small trees lined up that were planted. I don't think that long ago, that were on the riverbank that were torn down. And yeah. I look. And I, they were replaced. If you have apparently. an emotional attachment to it, I get it. Now to the uh, to the defense of the hippies
0: in Berkeley. That were living in that, that tree. tree was, that tree was huge. Well, it's more than one. I and mean, they had um, people living
1: in the tree. It was like a redwood, it looked like, on It campus.
0: was a, the the coast live oak, a, tr- a trunk larger than six inches. It goes through all these details. Uh, I'm looking through Wikipedia of the details of the, the actual tree set. There were 65 oaks, 38 coast live oaks, and eight redwoods, five pines, and several others. And... The Tree Sit was initiated and led by Zachary Running Wolf, a community activist. Of course. Running Wolf said he, that He's also been great in Yellowstone Season 4, Running Wolf. Running Wolf said the construction of the athletic center would be a hate crime. We call it Guantanamo-Berkeley. <laughs> he also oh, said that the Illuminati and the Masons are conspiring to build the center because the Grove is the intersection of compass lines connecting uh, the School of Business with Alcatraz. Again. Hey, and you
1: you thought... Zachary Running Wolf. You thought only right-wing people had conspiracy theories. <laughs> so, there, yeah. there you go. It goes on both sides, as we just found out, with hey, they are, Zachari- Zachariah Running Wolf. As
0: of November 2... This is... my oh, man,
1: this is Is the tree ago. still there?
0: No, I think they finally- See, I'm
1: now more interested in that tree than the damn Cal basketball season, even though they're
0: 0-11, if they're going to win a game this year. Tree sitters removed branches. There's a nude photo shoot that took place. This whole thing, I mean, th- there needs to be a, a revisit yes and uh the a where are they now cal berkeley tree edition yes and R- is zach running wolf still alive <laughs> this was longer ago the than i thought running wolf running things this was 2007
1: cal. yeah i remember it was, it was the tennessee cal game in 07 to start the season that's how i remember the year
0: yeah this i who knows i was on i'm a, assuming the athle- the athletic center was, was it all built. listen it all ties back together on the show
1: right hutton I watched that Cal-Tennessee game and learned about these tree, these tree mm-hmm. dwellers Yes, during this game in 2007 in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there for wow. my buddy's bachelor party in 07, and Louisville was what led to this conversation. Louisville beginning their first win, and then Davey informing us that Cal was 0-11 and, and talking about that, and it all comes full circle.
0: Chad, um, the NFL actually has had less... Roughing the passer, penalties thrown this season compared to last. Those penalties are down. But would you agree with me that the... the it, to me, it's not the number of penalties thrown. It's when they're actually throwing these flags versus when they're not. And while I don't think we've had a massive, a massive egregious penalty over the last, what, couple of weeks maybe? Going back for the first two months of the season, we're seeing one of these every week. And to me, this has become the what is a catch? I feel like today we are so much better off with did he catch the football or did he not versus where we were five to 10 years ago in this league. It was very difficult to define what was a catch. And now, how do you define what is roughing the passer for a league that's doing literally everything it can to protect the money and investments? put in on the biggest names and brands of any franchise, the quarterback position. But the, the refs are in a bad spot because they're trying to determine what the league wants, what the league doesn't want, what the players are wanting versus not, and how it affects the game. And some of these flags that are thrown are just so egregious with a, a, defense, a defensive player. I don't know if you should even hit the quarterback anymore given the nature of how this rule is currently enforced.
1: We need to go back to it being egregious to call it in a game. Um, and I wish there was a way. I've always been a proponent of this. If the quarterback or the player you hit is injured, and it can be determined that it was because of the way you hit them, mm-hmm. then you sit as long as they sit over the course of that game. This is where I am for ejections. If you hit someone, if you earhole someone with the crown of your helmet... Or you slam them to the ground like we saw with Kenny Pickett. That's another example. If you get all your momentum going and you're slamming a guy to the ground, his head bounces off the turf, he's out with a concussion, you sit. You're out. You take your helmet off and you sit as long as that player sits. Because with the quarterback cutting, I would get it if, you know, hey, you you could very easily use gamesmanship. And if you're a receiver, you could lay out if you're the third or fourth receiver and the best safety on the other team hits you. And that could force them to sit out too, right? That's taking one for the team. But no one's going to sit their starting quarterback with a fake injury just to get out a defender. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's legitimate. If you if you knock someone out of the game, you're out of the game. Now, that's a big-time deterrent. But, is the, man, the... I think you could do it if if you played it right. because I, And I also think if you did that, we could go back to them calling the very clear, obvious personal
0: foul hitting the roughing the passer penalties but I I think the obvious clear personal foul roughing the passer penalties it's so gray right now so here is uh, the NFL's executive vice president of football operations Troy Vincent the NFL is going to be looking at this offseason they're going to look into roughing the passer and also the possibility of ejecting players for targeting similar to the college rule here's Troy Vincent on the matter uh, the protection of the quarterback and I would say roughing the passer would be the other category uh, the officials I must say have been pretty consistent with and very accurate on making that call but they're human we will have an occasion where we may disagree and I mentioned the 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 Chargers Miami game didn't like that call uh, we thought that the Daniels did what what we are asking the coaches the coach, and the players to to actually execute, but I think that is a discussion a healthy that will be a healthy discussion of the off season with the competition committee, just keeping in mind do you allow the coach to challenge? yeah the, so can you challenge this that's that's the competition committees. They, they have to figure out if that is going to be a reviewable penalty. Chad, we've seen this in defensive pass interference. They made that reviewable. They, they trotted that out there for a year. Well, it was
1: out there because it was in response to the Saints getting screwed over with the obvious pass interference yeah. in the end zone in the, the uh, Rams in the NFC
0: Championship game, I believe it was, yes, right? Yes, yes. And so that went away. That did not work, and I think this will be a similar a similar response when they try this out. I think they will try it, um, but the my issue with it is coaches are going to keep the flag in the pocket most times, like they are with um, spotting the football. Vrabel for, never challenges that anymore because you don't win it, and it is. They're, all, they're still going to lean towards protection of the QB more than they are, is this or is this not roughing the passer? So I don't think by reviewing it, you're going to get that changed from the league when you're asking your officials to be extra cautious when making sure you're protecting the QB from egregious hits. So they have to have a clear definition of what they're looking for. And they also have to be willing to overturn things um, that are, I mean, that's going to be a call that's not going to be like, well, we don't have a good angle of this. That's going to be something that's going to be very black and white. Yeah. And I I still don't think that you're going to see many of those reviews overturned given the fact that they're all about health, safety, and well-being. That's one thing. But also, it's the quarterback. It's that position. Case in point. Traylon Burks takes that hit in Philadelphia. Over the middle, touchdown. I don't know, I hung on to the football. If you haven't seen it, surely you have. If you haven't, it's incredible. Um, The player was not, there was no penalty on that for for targeting or just for unnecessary roughness. Uh, Helmet to helmet contact. Player was also not fined. So the league viewed that as completely within the rule book and how they coach that play. Meanwhile, if you did that to a quarterback, you're probably getting suspended. Not not just fine or, or a flag. We've seen, again, players have just laid Tom Brady down on the turf gently, and that's roughing the passer. But over the middle with a receiver literally getting knocked out, literally concussed, Because he's not the quarterback, there's no flag and there's no fine. That's crazy to me. And there's a a big difference between the two. And I want football to be football, first and foremost. I don't want flag football. So if you're going to do that in that particular instance in Philadelphia with the, the safety coming over the middle and with Traylon Burks taking that hit, they have to define roughing the passer much better than the way they have because it's so confusing week to week. And, if, and 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 honestly, Chad, it's more crew to crew. That's the issue. Each crew is different in how they determine what is or is not a penalty within the quarterback realm.
1: Yeah, and it, 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 the only way to get it right is to review it or have a system to challenge it, to really look at it and see, okay, that was a bad one. The ones that we can all see, we see it in real time but sometimes. You- I don't know why the refs don't when it's a really weak call on that. But it's, it, the but guy's literally you, right there watching. But it, if you do that... Two feet away. Well, and they, they miss calls all the time with that. And I, I don't know what it is. If it's just this mental thing of you err on the side of, if they breathe on the quarterback, I got to call it. I, I don't know. Because there are some that are awful. The only way to get anything right is to go back to video review and then look at it. But then you're you're the game gets longer. in the games. There's more things to look at. So it's not... It's not a great process to do that. I'm getting some amazing, um, we are, and thanks to everybody who's chiming in on Outkick 360, suggestions for, I mean, wild, outlandish ways to, to do this. DJ says, you should have a huge decal placed on your helmet for the remainder of the game if you knock someone out of the game to signify that they cheated to win, and then a second would be a full game suspension. The next go, the reason for the decal is public dishonor and shame. Uh, Bobby says, I think there should be a ref with a button when the quarterback releases the ball and it's out. The ref hits the button. Quarterback's jersey turns bright red, like a stoplight. At that point, quarterback is off limits. Must hold up on hitting him. That technology is available. You take the guesswork out of it on whether or not it's late because someone from above is pushing it and it's showing the quarterback red. If he gets hit after, it's a penalty. If not, it's fair. I mean, I've never heard that before, so, and it sounds
0: sci-fi-ish to me to do that. But what are we getting to, though? In that in that regard, I mean, if if we're getting to that level, why why make the quarterback hittable? Honestly, if you're actually having to dumb it down to not even dumb it down, if you're having to make it so that it's like a virtual reality for that position only, I don't I don't get it. It should be like obscenity. Mean, I get it. They want to, They well, want those guys healthy.
1: I, because the refs do such a bad job of adjudicating this is why we're getting to some of these wild suggestions. But it should be like an obscenity law. You know, well, With but, obs- with, obscen- so- with public obscenity, though, Hutton, you know it when you see it. That's that's how don't. the rule is defined but in these some officials places. Don't that's the issue.
0: But that's it, it's got to be clear. Be it's got to be clear and obvious. And I felt like I knew it when I saw it growing up in the nineties. Then the only way to do it is to review it. The if they can't get it right
1: and they're not just going to call the obvious ones, then you got to go to review on all of these.
0: I guess. I mean, again, I can't every roughing
1: the passer. I don't every think, late
0: hit has so, got to be reviewed. So the other thing too is from a defensive standpoint, and they're going to also discuss whether or not uh, players should be ejected for targeting. I I think, for the most part, with the rules that they have in place, you know, defenseless receiver and unnecessary roughness, and, you know, you don't have the... uh, We we don't see the hits with Cortland Finnegan and Heinz Ward anymore, right? Where the grass has just popped off his helmet from the previous play because he was hit so hard, the mouthpiece is up in the air and he's pulling it out of the dirt. Like... That doesn't happen anymore. In fact, more likely than not, guys are getting fined and they're getting flagged and penalized for hits that are routine for the most part. And and it's and I'm specifically saying here with roughing the passer, but in terms of targeting, I think for the most, Chad, I think the today's NFL player has been coached the way that the league has changed the rules. Not initially. You know, initially, I think it was more of an issue because guys were coached a different way, and they're implementing the rule mid-career. Now you've got by, by this point a fresh group of players that have made their way through the draft; they're made their way through the second contract, and they know the rules and what they can and cannot do. I don't see a targeting issue in the NFL by and large part. I just I don't think you have to make that make that judgment um, now if you didn't make it whenever you were implementing it then. I don't disagree with the way the college aspect is when they review it and they determine if it's the, you know, a, a one or two, and if it's a two, you're out and you're suspended and you're suspended in the second half, then you're missing the first half of the next game. I don't mind that. Um, it's certainly a deterrent, but it's also in some cases very difficult on the defensive player to figure out where to angle and where the player's going to end up based on where the play's going to end. And I don't like penalizing a player for that either. And let's be honest here. You're only penalizing defense. You're I mean that's a guy that's carrying the football not it's, a lot of targeting on the offensive player. Um, yeah, and you know it's it, they they tried to implement that rule where you can't lead with the helmet. Remember that it was like 2 or 3 yeah. years ago. And when's the last time we've seen anything about that? I mean it, it's I think, the, I think, by and large part, the defensive players have figured out how to play within the rules and the structure as best they can, given the fact it's football, given the fact this is a contact sport. And I'm not for hits to the head, but sometimes, based on where the, the offensive player ends up, you I, I, sometimes it's just accident accidental. Yeah. I don't think it's egregious. Ken
1: in the YouTube chat says, the NFL misses obvious calls all the time when they review it. The NFL officiating and the play review process is just atrocious. I think they may miss some very, very razor-thin close calls on review. Well, and I've disagreed with something upon review, but it's going to be really close. They just say stands is what they say. Yes, I think this is to eliminate the egregious calls that we've seen. The, the obvious ones are overturned when something's missed. I think that's true across college and pro. The ones that clearly, oh yeah, they did miss this on the field. They get yeah. it right on that one. It's the ones that still, if there's any question on the review, that it's going to stay, and we can disagree with that at times. And I would say they do miss it at times. But I'm talking about review to eliminate the obvious tic tac bad call, the on Jerome the pass calls. or on on any personal foul like that.
0: Yes, coming up, we've seen the trend of players. Turn coaches, especially in the last two years. There's another example, and it's a future Hall of Fame quarterback that's going to be coaching uh, really soon. That's next now. Kick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Drew Brees is going to serve as a Purdue assistant for the Citrus Bowl. They've got the coach in transition. An interim assistant coach. Says, I'm extremely excited to work with our team over the next few weeks as we prepare for the Citrus Bowl, brief in a statement. I see it not only as an opportunity to coach and mentor this group of young men, but represent all of the former Purdue players that care so much about our program. So, um, I think that's awesome. He was hired as a countable assistant under the guidelines of the NCAA. Again, like, What's the NCAA going to do to you here? Your coach bolts and you're trying to just get through the bowl game to make everyone money.
1: If he is accountable assistant by the NCAA rules, then he would have had to pass some sort of NCAA entrance test and he can recruit.
0: Yes, he's allowed to recruit. That's big. Yep. And I I mean...
1: I don't know how much that helps this late in the process, depending on how long he's going to be there, but you can now send Drew Brees to someone's living room.
0: Maybe they have a quarterback that they want to keep on the roster and he's there to help recruit that kid to stay. I don't, again, um, don't know. And he could do that. I mean, you could make a phone call to a recruit anyway, but I
1: mean, it's, it opens up the door to a lot of interesting things. I know this is happening because of the coaching transition. Yeah. Uh, with Walter Ryan Walters coming in, but imagine the possibilities of one day when Tom Brady's not playing. If you had a transition, you could bring in Tom Brady to Michigan to go visit players. Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. if you were down a spot. Example, Tennessee's down one assistant right now who left to be the head coach at South Florida. Could they bring in Peyton Manning to get the team ready for the Orange Bowl yeah. and go visit I,
0: yeah, I guess. prospects? Uh, I, I know, guess you'd have to pass the NCAA test. Hey, O'Connell's not playing. Uh, they're skipping the game against the, the Tigers. You've got Charlie Jones, uh, Payne Durham, the tight end, and uh, a corner that's also not participating for Purdue. I mean, that's the norm now. But the yeah, it's it's. Do you think he's scratching an itch as well? Do you think he sees this as yes part of the trend? Yes, the, the, not just a trend, but like oh, I want to try this to see what this is like. The process.
1: I think that he did not get his football fix in as a broadcaster. I don't think he was ever fully happy doing that, and now he is, as you said, Hutton, scratching that itch. So to get back in the game, he's going to try out coaching for a little bit. Maybe this becomes a long-term thing. I don't think it would at
0: Purdue as an assistant necessarily because they're already saying it's an interim spot. And you got Brian Brom as the interim head coach for this game. Why can't Walters come in and immediately go to work on the current roster? He's allowed to observe practice, but, I mean, if he's there and he's taking notes and he's chatting with people and he's recruiting, like, why can't you – actually be a part of the... Of the day. football, of the game. Of the game. Like, Yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. It's always... I
1: love it. It's great television, but it's always very odd and almost uncomfortable to me when the new head coach is in the booth doing an interview yeah. while his team's on the field. Right? I'm thinking, well, these guys, you're going to need to convince a lot of them to come back and play for you next yeah. year. And you're talking about... You don't get a lot of football games in a season. This is the... 13th game of the year. I guess for Purdue, it'll be the 14th. But and now, you like, get my point. There's not many of them. And you're up here having just been hired,
0: not being able to coach in the sideline and, and work with this team. I get it. The, the, the coach is going to put together his own staff. You know, Behind the scenes, he wants to recruit, of course. But in this day and age, I would also want to evaluate who are the kids I absolutely need to keep here that yeah. I cannot let bolt. You know, and, and you're going to know
1: more about that watching practice
0: and yeah, being a part and, of. Yeah, it. and he's doing that. I mean, he's allowed to observe. It says here in the piece, but uh, you know, you've got Breeze and Brom and and the rest of the staff trying to piece it together. And again, the bowl season is just crazy. The money involved in this for the actual, the result, the product, which is so watered down now with the opt-outs. It'll get better though with the 12-team playoff. Yeah, because more teams will have more investment from the players and the coaches right the coaches aren't going to bolt and the players they're not going to opt out either because of what's at stake but there how many bowl games do we actually know you know what this team's in it to win it and not many and if they are chances are the team that they're playing doesn't really care Bowl games
1: start tomorrow by the way they kick off tomorrow earlier and earlier it feels like
0: get out the apps headlines next we'll talk nfl